At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the talk show about your most important life skill, learning. And I'm very excited about tonight's show. It's a little bittersweet because this is the season finale. We'll be back in September, but this is the season finale for now. And the very first show, which was December 10th, was on the topic of engagement. And now, as we finish the season, our topic is teaching through real world problems. So I think that's a real good bookend because we engage students in the work, the consulting work that we do in schools. We engage students through problem-based learning. So we have three amazing teachers from our client schools here today to talk about teaching through real-world problems. But first, let's get started by bringing in my co-host. My co-host is, as always, a consultant who is a colleague of mine working at IDE Corp, Innovative Designs for Education, where we work very closely with schools to bring about student engagement, empowerment, and efficacy. So please welcome Jillian White. Hi, everyone. Woo! It's great to be here. Great to have you. I think this is the first time you've co-hosted with me, right? This is, and, and I'm following amazing shoes, big shoes, but I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Ah, uh, you'll be fine. Don't be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's bring in our first guest. Our first guest is a seventh grade U.S. social studies teacher at Nyack Middle School. She is a LADIC, that stands for the Learner Active Technology Infused Classroom, but it's a mouthful, so we say LADIC. She is a LADIC lead teacher who supports her colleagues and new teachers in establishing student-centered classrooms through providing professional development workshops and engaging in one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. Our LADIC lead teachers join us in the summer to partner with us to provide um, training to the other teachers that are in the district. So I know, and Jillian, you're gonna be part of that in NIAC this summer, right? Yes, I am. I'm All right, so, so Caitlin Murphy will be joining you. Uh, she is also currently pursuing a PhD in curriculum and instruction and the science of learning through the University of Buffalo. Congratulations for that. And she's a volunteer for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Rockland County for the last eight years, serving as a mentor. And we would be remiss if we did not say that she is a huge cat lover. Please welcome from Nyack Middle School in New York, Caitlin Murphy. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm glad that you threw in the cat lover fact. <laughs> well, Caitlin, what is something that you learned this week? 
Oh, what did I learn? Okay, I would say the importance of the three R's, recreation, rest, and which leads to rejuvenation. I think for all teachers, we're all in the same boat. We feel like we've been on a treadmill since March of last year. So I think this week I had to like put myself into perspective and remind myself, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to put the lesson down. Everything will be okay. And then come back rejuvenated um, is kind of where I'm at right now. Those are, those are great words. Thank you. So uh, next, we're going to bring in, to join in the conversation, Caitlin, we are going to bring in a teacher who is a fourth grade STEM teacher at Chasco Elementary School in Pasco County, Florida. She is also the grade level, grade level PLC facilitator uh, who enjoys leading and supporting teachers who are new to LATIC. We actually worked with Kristen years ago and then the school was not still working with us. And then they are now working with us. So Kristen started her LATIC journey years ago and has kind of been returning now for us. We're, we're in full swing in Chasco Elementary School. So shout out to Chasco Elementary School. And she also uh, coaches Girls on the Run at the school, which is a social emotional curriculum program for girls that incorporates running while teaching girls how to be healthy and joyful. And in her notes that she sent to us, she said she loves, but she didn't just say loves. She put it in all caps, loves running. And she runs marathons. Please welcome Kristen Parmenter. Uh, yeah, I'm the crazy one that loves running. And I am extremely excited to be back um, working with you all with Laddick because that is my other passion. <laughs> so fun. So fun. All right. So what is something that you've learned this week? Oh, <laughs> this week was fun. Yesterday was our last day of school. And uh, the last week of school, we finished up our human growth and development curriculum in fourth grade, where uh, it's kind of new this year, where we have, we used to separate the boys and girls and a male teacher would teach the boys about growing and changing. And the school nurse would teach, would do the girl talk. And this year it was all me, and uh, I learned the importance of the question box. I thought that the question box was for kids to privately ask questions that they were a little too embarrassed to ask in front of the um, in front of the whole class. But what I learned was the question box is also for kids that are very eager to ask very specific questions in front of the whole class. Uh, so yes, next year I will strictly use the question box. <laughs> I remember when I was in junior high, of course, they, they do all of those uh, talks a lot younger. Uh, but when I was in junior high, my science teacher was supposed to do the human development. And I remember the day that she was talking about, you know, all of the body parts. She just literally passed out from the front of the room. Oh. We had to go to the office and say, like, hello, we just lost our teacher. Uh -oh. One of my boys actually went down to the ground. He didn't fully pass out, but he got very woozy, and I had to have an adult walk him down to the clinic. Yeah, it's during a scary topic. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's bring in our third guest for tonight. Colleen Shepard teaches second grade at Icon Charter School 4. She's another client of ours pursuing learner active technology-infused classrooms. She previously, previously taught first grade. She is the recipient of the Innovative Teaching Award from Manhattanville College in 2018. She is currently enrolled in the Advanced Certificate 
in teaching literacy program at Mercy College, and she likes to play video games, and she enjoys baking. Please welcome Colleen Shepard. Hello. <laughs> My name is Colleen Shepard. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you. Ms. Sheppy, I hear. Yes, my kids love to call me Miss Sheppy. Okay. <laughs> well, as Miss Sheppy, as I know you as well, um, what is something that you learned this week? I think for me, one of the things, one of the things that I learned this week is that my student learning never stops. You know, we're winding down to the end of the year, and the students are still asking these really good driving questions that make me want to jump up and take action, and make them want to jump up and take action. So I'll say for families, teachers, or anyone watching, there's always opportunities for our students to learn and it never stops. It just doesn't. And take charge and take control of it. That's great. That's great. Learning always. And I would like to welcome you all. We're looking forward to a great conversation on teaching through real world problems. And I also want to welcome the live audience. I am so thrilled that you are with us today. Anybody can watch the show anytime. But if you are watching live, put something in the chat. Shout out if you're here to watch someone in particular, whether you want to say hi to any of the guests or to Jillian or to me. And if you have any questions that come up, just put them over there because we will, we may not be able to answer it right at that moment, but our co-host Jillian is going to be keeping an eye on those so that she will make sure that we answer all the questions. The other thing you need to know, live audience, is that there's a little bit of a delay between the time you put uh, your comment in the chat and when we actually see it. So if you're going to say something like, great point, make sure you include the name of whoever made the great point because we may have moved on and then I'll be saying, well, thank you so much. And you didn't mean it for me. So live audience, join us. All right. I discovered, stumbled upon whatever problem-based learning when I was teaching middle school math students and they were not engaged in learning math. And I remember I one day I said to them, look, just all come to class and we, we need to figure something out. And I said to them, and I always used to say, I feel like I was creating the first survival series because I said to them, look, I want to keep my job. You need to learn math. None of them had passed the state test. And, you know, my job was to get them there. And I said, like, how are you going to join me in learning math? And they just said, oh, Ms. Sula, it's so boring math. So I just said to them, well, what if we worked on solving real world problems? And they were like, oh, that could be fun. So I reinvented my math curriculum all around problems. It was one problem after another. Each one lasted about four or five weeks. And the kids were so engaged. And at the end of the year, now I was just trying to survive and have my kids like the class. <laughs> and so at the end of the year, I remember my principal called me into his office. And he said to me, your students did extremely well on the state test, all but one passed. I was like, yeah. good for them. And then he said, did you cheat? <laughs> what? He goes, well, how did your kids pass that test? And I was like, he goes, well, maybe you were walking around going, check that answer again. I said, no, I was sitting up at my desk watching them take the test. So he said, well, how did your kids do so well? And I said, I don't know. But I do know, I knew later, it was because when you engage kids through real world problems, they retain what they learn because it connects to a context. And a lot of people feel that if you're teaching through real world problems, you don't, we don't have time for that. And my answer is, you don't have time not to teach through that. Yeah. Because just thinking that a student is a car and you're the gas you know, pump and you can just stick it in and fill them up, 
that is never going to work. And so the, the last piece of this story was that my principal then said to me, well, your students did so much better in percentages than the rest of the school. Like they outpaced the rest of the school. How did you teach percentages? And I said, you know, I didn't get to that chapter. So I literally did not teach a chapter on percentages and my kids blew through that test. Yeah. Why? Because probably in facilitating, I was asking questions of like, well, what percentage of the time? And then they would say to me, what does that mean? So my context, you know, like, like that started in the 70s. And then as I began to build the Learner Active Classroom, it's all about the problem. Because once you have the problem, you can go anywhere. So yeah. you tell me from your experiences, what do you think has been the greatest benefit to your students and you? in running your courses and classes through real world problems? Because I know we selected you guys because you're running back to back problems. It's not like, oh, let's have a fun event going on in October. You literally are committed to teaching through problems. So what's been your experience? I think for me, one of, one of the most powerful parts about it is um, I year to year have such a diverse classroom and such a wide variety of learners, all the way from kids who really struggle to gifted. I'm the gifted inclusion teacher. And um, this way of teaching truly meets every single learner's needs and allows them to move forward regardless of the level that they enter. Yeah. I think for me as a social studies teacher, especially when with our curriculum, we always feel this pressure that we have to cover everything. We have to cover every single war, every single battle, every single person. Uh, but when you really strip it down and you focus on a larger problem that kind of frames your whole unit, you have to make design, it forces you to make design decisions about what is important and what really isn't. And I think that is just allowed for complete magic in my classroom. It allows for such a deeper understanding of the material than we were ever going to have if I was just simply trying to just cover the material and get through it. So over the last few years, just seeing that transformation in my style of teaching, I've seen a transformation in the deep levels of learning that I'm getting from my students, and it's been beautiful to watch. Great. Excellent job. I agree. Excellent job. I think as the world we live in becomes more complex and intricate, it's very important to make sure that students are learning how their actions can affect the world that we live in. And I think that's one of my driving forces with using a student-centered classroom and using PBLs. I want the students to look past just learning in the classroom, but looking at something internationally or globally or just locally in their neighborhoods. So that's my goal for using student-centered learning in the classroom and focusing on learning through problems. And, and Jillian, you are a consultant, so you spend a lot of time providing workshops and coaching teachers in teaching through real-world problems. What do you want to add in terms of what this offers teachers and students? Ooh, um, I think it allows creativity. Uh, and not yeah. just so on, on the students' end, but even the teachers. You know, we were taught as educators to kind of teach in a certain way. And what I've noticed is teachers are, are coming out of the box, they're coming out of their comfort zone, and it's pushing them to really realize my students are in the same boat. You know, I can tap into their understanding and take the risk and, and really get a, an amazing reward from it. So it's amazing to see not just the growth of the students, but how that growth runs and, and rubs off on the teachers as well. So it's truly amazing. Mm. It's beautiful. 
Yeah, I, I uh, continue to be a fan of teaching through problems. I find kids are so engaged and they feel efficacious. And I know I've, I've shared this story before on the show. You know, a, a defining moment for me was when a fourth grader said, you know, we spend so much time solving real world problems that like, I think I could change the world. Uh-huh. And in fourth grade, isn't that what we want? You know, absolutely. Right. So um, now I know each of you also came to share a little bit about some of the problems you're using. So Colleen, let's let's have you start and share some of your problems. And I know we have some images, so we'll try to bring them up in an order that makes sense. But you just tell us if you need things differently. Let's bring up the first image. and You tell us about the problem based tests that you uh, gave your kids. Of course, definitely. Thank you so much for presenting. So uh, before we hit um, COVID and we, we were actually able to have learning experiences, my second grade partner and our um, teacher, we went to the Bronx Zoo and we did an educational workshop with the kids. And then the instructor came out and explained how the fennec fox he was presenting is endangered because people are keeping them as pets. And my students were really emotional. They became really sad. We had some students who were very angry. And I had a student named Willow who doesn't speak very much, but I was very excited to hear what she had to say. And when we got back to the building, she wanted to give a little reflection and she wanted to know, well, how can we change this? And she started to get a little teary-eyed, you know, they're beautiful animals. How can we make the world better for them? And that right there was the driving force. A light bulb went off. I didn't even bother. I didn't have to sit there and plan it. I took what the students said and that really drove my lesson. And that's when we came up with the conservationist um, unit to protect endangered animals. That's cool. All right, do we have another one here? Yep. Yes, we do. So for my students, it's important, of course, to make sure that they have a choice and a voice. One of the biggest parts of having a lot of classroom is making sure that the students can take charge. It is their job. I facilitate, I want my kitties to take the lead. So one of those ways I did that was I made sure students can choose whichever animals they wanted from the endangered list. And then students were also able to um, gain, they were able to earn money. They had bank sales, students went home and sold things that they had that they didn't need anymore. And they were able to raise enough money with my help to adopt a snow leopard and a fennec fox. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's cool. That is so cool. Oh my gosh. So, (laughs) So global citizenship, I think it's really important for students to understand where we come from, where we live, how we can make it better. So the students were able to partner with the World Wildlife Fund and that's where they were able to adopt one of the animals. So we adopted the snow leopard, we adopted the fennec fox. And then at the end, the goal was, well, how do we tell people about this? We know, our school knows, Icon 4 is celebrating us for our achievements. How do we tell the world? So we ended up working with some of the sixth grade and seventh grade students to help us create Google sites to show off what they learned. They put their persuasive writing pieces in there. And this is one of the ways that we were able to spread it with the world and show global citizenship. And tell us again, where can you go to adopt the animal? Sure, the World Wildlife Fund, www.org. www.org. And you're right, Corey Urai just put in here, students will remember these kinds of powerful experiences for the rest of their lives. Completely. And it is true, we recently had a superintendent from Norwood, New Jersey, who, uh, and they are a Latic client of ours, and she went back and she was asking students who had graduated what they remembered most about Norwood Public School, and they were bringing up the problems that they were solving. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all can, um, you know, attest to that, that when you're learning through something that is that is that meaningful, 
you don't forget it. And, and of course you can build in, I would imagine Colleen, you were able to build in lots of science and math and ELA and social studies into that unit. Yes, we were, we definitely were able to integrate. We had writing, they did a persuasive writing unit. The students were able to create charts for math, figuring out which animals were the most endangered. So it's a very good way to integrate and pull from what you've already done and do a lot of transfer tasks. I think it's important for the kiddies to see that one thing ties into another and we just keep learning. Yeah. Now, that for those cool. of you out there listening uh, uh, at the school level, when you think about it, second graders can definitely look at endangered species and, you know, what can we do to help from being uh, endangered? We have actually a unit on MyQ portal, which is the butterfly garden, where we try to stop the extinction of butterflies. As the kids get older and maybe get into, say, middle school, where they start learning genetics, now you can get into de-extinction how do we bring back animals that have become extinct? So we have a picture here of a black-footed ferret. Um, this is Elizabeth Ann, and she was brought back through cloning uh, oh, through, the remain, wow. through the remains of a black ferret that had died 33 years ago. She oh. was cloned, and this is actually bringing this animal back into existence. Um, I don't know for sure if the black-footed ferret was completely extinct or just at a very low level, but that's pretty cool. And I think if you're out there listening, you can do that at middle school levels once the kids start learning more about genetics. Very cool. Right, right? <laughs> All right. I'm getting inspired right now. <laughs> middle school, yes, because Caitlin, you could even look at you know, where have animals gone extinct throughout the uh, world? You can start bringing in geography and what was happening in history at the time. Like I'm a big fan of like putting it all together, right? But okay. let's hear about some of the projects that you have your kids engaged in. What, what real world problems are you tackling, Caitlin? Let's see what we have up here. Oh, this is my Native America unit task. This is actually a new unit that I piloted this year that really was a game changer for me. Um, I spent the summer really researching and reaching out to archaeologists that kind of knew more about the Nyack Indians. Um, I don't know if you know anything about Nyack, but originally our mascot was the Nyack Indians. We've recently changed it. Um, but I wanted students to know that there was an indigenous tribe that sort of lived on the land that we lived on. And I think for so long, we've been focusing on tribes that, uh, like the Iroquois, like the famous tribes that everybody focuses on, but we have something authentic, like right, right here on our land. And this year we started off by learning about who these indigenous people were. And my students just took off with it. Like it was beautiful to watch. They created these amazing children's books that actually got read by all of the fifth graders at one of the elementary schools and they got to vote on the books. It was, it was just such an exciting project and it felt, it felt authentic. It felt yeah. real. Instead of just talking about Native Americans like they're something from the past, it was really able to bring our own local history into the classroom, which I, I could see just from their expressions and on Zoom and in person, the level of understanding that we accomplished was just so much more meaningful than just talking about some other random tribe that they have no connection to. So bringing in that home base into our problem uh, really, really signified something awesome. It turned well, out awesome. It's interesting too, because Nyack is on the Hudson River in New York, and it would make sense that a tribe would uh, kind of, you know, 
I'm saying the word grow up. That's not the right word. But anyway, settle over there. <laughs> yeah. Because they have the water, you know, we need the water for irrigation. And if you ever uh, are around Nyack and see the middle school, well, the principal will kill me if I tell you to all go visit. But if you're in Nyack Middle School, in some of those classrooms, you are literally looking out over a panoramic oh, view from the top beautiful. of the mountain at the Hudson River. I really don't know how you and your colleagues get any teaching done. <laughs> we definitely are distracted by the beautiful view, but I will say with this unit, we connected to nature and all the natural resources that were around us and how did the Nyack use that to survive and celebrate their religion and their identity. and. It was something truly meaningful and tangible that they walked away with. And I'm like, wow, why did I not do this before? That the is level so of cool. engagement is high. Now, we had up also a rubric. Tell us about, I think this is a different test, but tell us about how you use uh, rubrics with your kids. Sure. So this is actually just a snippet of a rubric from our Constitution unit. So I feel like normally before I really dived into problem-based learning, the Constitution was kind of a stiff unit, dry, students really had no interest in it. But this year we really revamped it to talk about how we have so many immigrants that have moved to Nyack. We are an immigrant community and there's lots of people in our community that are gonna take the naturalization exam, which has lots of Constitution questions. So we worked with our Family Resource Center to create really easy, friendly pamphlets that could be picked up by anyone that's trying to study for the test. And with the, these students created beautiful pamphlets that are not only accurate, easy, user-friendly, but they're walk, they walked away with such a much deeper understanding of the Constitution and appreciation for it than I think if we just would have covered the basics of it. And how wonderful, how, how you know, efficacious of them to solve this problem of people who are applying for citizenship and have to pass that test. And now they have done something to help real people as opposed to just typically what happens in school, you hand something into the teacher. So exactly. that's exactly. Really cool. And from All a fellow right. immigrant, that was helpful because I remember taking that test and, and also going with my mom to take that test and just how difficult and how much information was on it. So for, for some, a student like myself who you know, I come from a family of immigrants. To me, I feel represented in the assignment. And, you know, we always want to be mindful of how are our students represented and how are we being intentional with that. So I, I'm loving the themes that I'm hearing so far. Yeah, yeah. All right, Kristen, you're up. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see what, uh, what real world problems your students have been tackling. Well, it's it's so cool to hear the different teachers talk because with LATIC, the possibilities of problems are endless. Absolutely. And the beauty and power in it is in the authenticity of it and how kids realize and recognize that they, no matter how small they are, can make an impact on the world. They can actually do something and control the environment around them, which is a cool thing. Um, this particular unit was my personal favorite of the year. Um, we have two, we, we had um, some pet rats in our classroom and we were doing a science unit all about energy and their task was to create an obstacle course or a playground for our rats to build upon their intelligence and their intellectual stimulation because rats are highly intelligent and they need socialization and they need um, 
they need that brain activity to keep them active. So the kids had a lot of fun incorporating all of their learning about energy throughout the unit to build something that would um, build on the intelligence of the rats while incorporating multiple forms of energy. Um, it, it was just a whole lot of fun. That's cool. And I see if we can go back to that second image where it looks like the students actually had to map it out first, make their plan, and then they built it. Yes? Absolutely. Uh, we talked about it in relationship to a builder building a home. We don't just go grab two by fours and wood and start pounding things together without a plan. Um, they really had to think it through, plan it out, um, and write it down and draw it out before actually building. And then as they learned throughout the unit, they were able to add to their designs and then add to their actual building, which they worked on throughout the whole unit. Yeah. Wow. How old are these kids? Awesome. They're fourth, like fourth graders, 10 year olds. <laughs> oh my God, that is amazing. That is so cool. <laughs> it was really cool is. to watch. Very cool. So Kristen, now uh, after the students had created their mazes then, it was the idea that Penelope would run through the mazes and you got to test them out? Yes, yep. They had to meet all of the criteria in order to put the rats in their playground. I had to know that it was safe. I had to know that all of the forms of energy that they incorporated were um, not going to cause harm to the rats. And so there was research involved in that and in learning about the materials that were safe for them. Uh, so yes. And then tragedy struck in the middle of our unit. Uh -oh. So the kids were um, midway through their project and they Obviously, this is very exciting. They were very, very thrilled about this, totally into it. And Penelope, one day we walked into school and she just was not acting right. I got very nervous. The kids were asking questions and I tried to play it off like she's just she's getting old. She's just not as active today. She's tired. And the next morning I, I came in and she had very tragically passed in the middle of our um, unit. And the kids, of course, obviously were devastated. And I sort of freaked out a little bit, <laughs> very upset, of course. wasn't sure how we were going to go on, but it led to absolutely the most beautiful learning experience and talk about authentic. Um, we did, I did some on the spot grief counseling. It, it brought up a lot of emotions in the kids who had experienced losses of dogs, especially, or even family members. Um, and we are a trauma sensitive school where we have a lot of kids that, that have backgrounds from, from trauma. So I really had to tread carefully. Um, but it, it turned out to be a beautiful day. The kids drew pictures and they wrote memories of Penelope. We have a beautiful school garden and um, we ended up having a ceremony in the garden and we buried her out there and they were able to say their goodbyes. And of course I did what any teacher would do and I adopted two new baby boys. So <laughs> the babies were thrilled with their playgrounds and had a lot of fun running through those. Wait, so are you saying it took it, it, it took 
two boy rats to replace one girl. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Uh, oh, wait, this isn't, this isn't our women's show. Okay. So, uh, uh, that is so cool. But I really, you know, when you tell that story, Kristen, I don't think you should say that Penelope tragically died because that leads people to think that she went through the maze and something happened. <laughs> oh, yes. She just died no. was in the middle of the project. Did the other yeah. rat get to try that? You had another one, yes or no? I did. I had two rats initially, and the first rat had passed away around Christmas time. And the whole premise behind this project was um, rats are very social. They require... It, it's better to have more than one. And if you don't have more than one, you need to give it a lot of attention. And so the premise behind it was we are going to build this playground and obstacle course for Penelope, who is grieving the loss of her sister. And um, so, yeah. All right. Well, are you going to hold on to those for uh, future rats or does that now next year? Absolutely. Once you get a, a, a baby rat, you fall in love pretty quickly. Aww. You'd be surprised. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I can talk about Penelope forever, but let me move on to um, a, another question to ask. You know, a lot of teachers feel that teaching through problem-based learning is the extra. I need to teach all the mm -hmm. content first and then have the kids have like a culminating project. So let's dispel that myth. How do kids learn through problem-based learning? Absolutely. Like the, this was a perfect example of um, their, their plans that they started to draw. You saw an elaborate plan that was, you know, after he had added a lot of detail throughout his learning, but their plan started at the beginning of the year, the, the unit, very, very basic. And they know that as they learn, they are adding to their, their plan and they're adding to their building. So they worked on building and planning throughout the whole entire unit. And it really develops that felt need. They have to learn because they're eager to add on to their project or their design or whatever it is that they are working towards their task. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll add on to that. The fact that, you know, you include the project as a part of at the everyday learning is so important. I feel like sometimes People add on the project as like the end, like we let's do the unit and now we're going to spend a week on the project that really doesn't get that felt need and or that fulfillment or that deep learning that you're looking for. I think the really importance is making sure that whatever you're doing in the classroom continuously ties back to that task ties back to that project. So it's not some like extra thing that it's an authentic piece of the learning process that we're building towards this goal. And students should be made aware of that from the very beginning and continue throughout the unit. So they just keep building and building and building and building. I, I had a teacher once say to me, you know, Nancy, help me out here because once I've taught the content and I feel like the students know it and I've given the test, like why should I be having them engage in solving this problem? And I looked at her and I said, you shouldn't. And she was like, what? And I'm like, because huh. we're supposed to give them the problem first because if you oh. the problem up front, then they will say, well, wait, how, how am I going to do this? You know, and I'll use the example again of one I love, the butterfly garden. If we know butterflies are becoming extinct because we are building and therefore we are getting rid of the kind of plants that they like to lay their eggs on, a butterfly mm -hmm. will only lay eggs on a plant so that it know when it knows that um, when the caterpillar hatches, it can immediately have a food source. And they tend, like the monarch butterfly uh, lay, lays eggs on milkweed. 
At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain planner features. See T-Mobile.com. And milkweed is a weed. So the students have to figure out how to create a garden. They have to use math, create a, a, you know, scale garden plan. And then they have to look up science and find out what, you know, what would butterflies thrive on. And they have to put all the right kind of plants in there. And of course, they have to learn the butterfly life cycle. So as soon as you present all of that, the first thing they're doing is like, well, how do we learn about the butterfly life cycle? And then you can say like, oh, well, there's books, there's videos, there's, you know, all kinds of ways that you can learn about it. And they dive in and then they start saying, oh, we need one kind of plant for when they're caterpillars. And then, oh, we need something else for when they're butterflies. And, and, the, and it just like goes, you know, yeah. How, do you want to add something to that uh, with your I did, I did. I wanted to add on to what you said, because I think for the most part, a lot of people think it's so intense. It takes so much time. It takes only a few more steps just to make sure that everything can interweave into each other. And I think that using um, problem-based learning in the classroom and making sure you're using a student-centered classroom, it makes sure students have different perspectives of the learning process. And as you said, it, what about the what about the butterfly life cycle? What about this? How can we write about this? How can we show this? It's really about finding ways to embed it into that that problem so that students can go off into their own learning path. I think that's one of my most favorite parts about it is that it just it doesn't just end with the product the product the product at the end. We can keep going and we can continue on building on top of the learning process as we go. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, well, another. Go ahead. I was just going to say another really powerful part about giving them that problem from the get go is it allows learners from a diverse variety of of learning needs to really go to take it as far as they want to take it. And I really saw that this year with my gifted learners being able to go a lot faster and a lot deeper. It just increases the amount of time they have to do that. I, and that's such an important piece because we've brought in, been brought into districts to help uh, when they've taken gifted, gifted students and they're in the regular classroom and they wanna make sure that they can you know, be, be challenged. And we say, Laddick, problem-based learning, let's get at it. Absolutely. And it's true because your gifted learner is like running off and taking it on levels that you wouldn't even have thought of. And yet mm -hmm. your child who is struggling with some content doesn't feel left out, doesn't feel like they're not good enough because they got their own thing going on over here. And so they're working on where they're working. And then when the students are seeing what one another is doing, they start you know, modeling after one another. So to me, it's the perfect environment to be able to address diverse learners in terms of everybody gets to move at their pace, at their need. They, they get to, you know, go to whatever levels they want. So, uh, I mean, I know I do this for a living, 
but I'm a huge fan. And I guess it makes sense because why would I do something for a living if I wasn't passionate about it? So, so I'm, true. I'm very passionate about it. But well, I'll, I'll say. To, wait, I have to take a break. Oh, no time. It's time for what's in your mug. And um, I want to thank tonight our, our directors who are behind the scenes, Boyd Adolfson, who usually accidentally pops in. But, like, I haven't seen you, Boyd. Like, where are you? Boyd? Boyd? I don't somewhere in the void. Well, I usually pop in <laughs> during the show. Here he comes. Here he comes. Here we go. There he is. <laughs> hey, boy. And also Lauren Francescan, who has taken on more uh, responsibilities uh, recently. So, Lauren, pop in and wave. Hey, Lauren, don't be shy. Hi, Lauren. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, as we hit this season finale, I want to thank Lauren and Boyd for making this happen, for making this season happen. Um, I also want to thank Carrie Gentner, who's no longer working at IDE, but did a great job of kicking off uh, the show when we first started. And so you can't make this happen without the directors. But uh, we, we started a segment early on where we would stop in mid-show and say, what's in your mug? And I selected a mug that was given to me. Oh, my uh, God. Right? Learning oh, my this, God. This was given to me, complete with my lipstick on it, um, <laughs> by Tanya Bosco, who's our executive vice president. When the show kicked off, I thought it was a great mug. So I'm, I'm bringing this back because I used it in one of the early shows. And so uh, what is in it is some decaf coffee, because uh, for those of you who know Shanae Buford, one of our, our director of educational equity, she actually is here visiting me in Florida. We're doing some work. We're working on a book. So Ooh. I am for it. Yeah. She's been running to Starbucks all day, bringing back coffee for us. So I don't really need any more caffeine. You're all caffeinated. I'm going on the deep. Don't forget us. Don't forget us. <laughs> what is in your mug? All right. So I'm having me some herbal tea, honey, lemon, a little mint, just to relax me after a Ooh. long day of teaching with my second date grade kitties. Awesome. Well, what does that say on the mug? Hold that up. Steady now. So morning vibes. One of my students gave it to me last year um, as a Christmas present because I'm a little grumpy in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> And this was a perfect mug, actually. So I love this mug. So this is where I have my seat. Morning vibes. That's awesome. Awesome. Caitlin, what's in your mug? All right. I've got some green tea decaf because it's time for the four-day weekend. So I need to chill it down. But this mug, it just says K on it. It's it's really special because my teaching assistant that I've been working for years, Miss Foreman, gave it to me as a gift. And she is a light like it takes the community to build a classroom and she has been just a pillar of my classroom for for so many years and i wouldn't be where i am without her and my students of course shout out to period two four seven and eight uh, so this so this is a special mug awesome awesome and kristen what's in your mug my mug looks like this <laughs> it is filled with a whole lot of water I do drink coffee every morning. It gets me through my day. Um, but water, you will see me drinking all day, every day. And this one tells me, you know, I should have it all done by 9 p.m. But I'm very competitive. Everybody that knows me knows I'm very competitive. And so I see this as a challenge. If it says 3 o'clock, I'm going to have it down to here by noon. So <laughs> what, is the, what does the top level say? 
The top level says 7 a.m. Good morning. Oh. I'm also a very big proponent of drinking water in my classroom. And I tell my kids all the time because it's so brain friendly and important for the brain and for learning. So I drink my water and I encourage them to drink water all day long, too. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. All right, Jillian, what's in your mug? Ooh, I like this mug. Thank you. Thank you. So um, last year I had an amazing opportunity before the craziness of the pandemic to go away on the first ever mother-daughter trip. And we went to Hawaii. We actually went to, um, I think, four of the, of the big islands. And it was an incredible bonding experience. We didn't kill each other. I'm still here. So <laughs> you're all alive. Yeah. That's good. I'm still smiling. So it was <laughs> incredible. Um, it really pushed us together. And inside my cup is actually water. I'm trying to be on Kristen's level. <laughs> um, I'm pushing myself to drink more water and trying to be healthier and more conscious of that. So clearly I'm working on it. I'm getting there. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. Water is good. Water is good. Yes, see, Marisa, our friends. <laughs> she, her, Marisa has turned to her water bottle as her emotional support bottle. <laughs> she calls it that so that she can bring it on the plane with her. Uh, okay, let's kick off the second half of the show. Jillian. Give us a question. Okay. So I've been hearing just so much uh, conversations about engagement and what that looks like. How do you keep your students engaged throughout the unit? So not just sparking that in the very beginning, but how do you keep them ready and running with the, you know, the movement the entire time? I could start this off. I think what brings the project-based learning to like fruition and like carries us throughout is just the teacher enthusiasm. I think we have such power as educators. And if we show that we love and we are passionate about what we're doing, it's kind of contagious. And it just spreads like wildfire, especially this year has been a crazy year for everyone. But I think it's actually been my most successful. And I think it largely has to do with running back to back units that are all project-based, that are problem-based. And I think that has kept my kids engaged and involved. And I pray, I'm like, thank gosh, we have made it. And we've done it so well. Yeah, we definitely heard through the pandemic uh, as of last March, we heard from our client districts where the teachers were what I call running Laddick with fidelity. Not just taking a piece here and there, but where the kids are working on back-to-back problem-based tasks and they are using rubrics to self-assess and they're using activity lists to determine how they're going to learn, you know, and they schedule their own time. Those teachers reported that the kids just went home, they went home and learning just continued and they didn't yes. skip a beat because the kids could do it. Is that what you experienced? Completely. Like I thought going into this school year, I was going to lose kids, but I got kids and it didn't, I still have kids that I haven't even met in person and I have a relationship with them. I know their brains, I know how they work and they have shown me just the plethora of their understanding. So, and I credit it literally to all to running each unit with a problem, with a task that carries us throughout, that keeps us motivated. And for those teachers that have been a little nervous to dive on in, I say dive because it's going to pay forward. Yeah. Colleen, how do you keep them engaged? Sure. I think for my students, one of the biggest things that I noticed, especially over remote learning, having most of my students at home and some students in the classroom, I think just allowing them to have a choice and a voice, giving them options, 
letting them, giving them the options to choose, using my activity list, using the different types of choice boards so that they can choose. I think that students are way more engaged when they have that choice and they feel more empowered. So I think empowerment, of course, is like one of the biggest pieces because that's one of the ways we keep our kitties engaged, letting them take the lead. So I facilitate, it's all on you. So making sure that they're staying accountable, but just being able to take the lead as well. 100%. Well, you bring up a really good point, Ms. Sheppy, because when I, now I'm 65, so I'm kind of old, but when I, well, not really, I'm young, but when I uh, was a kid, uh, there were no computers there, you know, we had black and white TV and there were whatever games or toys my parents bought for me. Now, students have so much at their fingertips that from a very young age, they're making choices. You know, they're going on a computer and picking what they want to do. They, they're, they have so much choice in voice. And then they come to school, and in some cases, it's stripped away. And so I think it's so important to realize that the students we're teaching today are used to choice in voice. They're used to figuring things out, throwing them into a problem-based environment right at preschool. And we have preschool teachers, you know, engaged in LATIC. That's what is going to keep our kids going and engaged. And I think the other piece of it is a real world audience. Somebody yeah. that they yes. know yes. they're going to. They know someone is going to see this. Kristen, what else you want to add about keeping the kids engaged? Ladies, I could not agree more. Um, the, the teacher enthusiasm is key, but also the choice is exactly what I was going to say. And you can give so much choice. You Do you want to read it? Do you want to listen to it? Do you want to watch it? Do you want a teacher to teach you in a small group? Do you want to learn with friends? Do you want to learn independently? There are so many opportunities to give choice that sometimes it can even be overwhelming for me to narrow it down for the kids. But that is a huge key factor for them. Yeah. Well, now let's uh, dispel some myths or answer some questions for the audience in terms of, uh, you know, the downside, if you will, of problem-based learning. Of course, I believe there is none. But what, what would you say, either through your own experience or what you hear from other teachers, what would you say are, is like the biggest challenge to running a problem-based classroom? I, I think... I think I think a lot of teachers have a difficult time stepping outside of their comfort zone. And I completely understand that. Taking on LATIC when it's new to you is very different. And it might be uncomfortable from the way that you are used to teaching, especially if you're very used to being in control and leading a lesson. Mm -hmm. You have to let go a little bit. Um, but I, I find myself backing it all the time to teachers. Just jump in. Just give it a try. And you know, I will support you, try and try it out. Um, because once you really dive in and you experience it and you get a taste of it, you realize all of the benefits that outweigh um, those those fears and the things that make you a little uncomfortable. Mm. I agree. Yeah, for social studies or really any teacher that I work with, the main concern is it takes too much time, that it's an add-on that we have so much to cover and so much curriculum to get through. But my response is always, well, are they actually learning what you're covering? If you're covering through it and trying to like whiz your way through the curriculum, I think it takes, you know, real time and energy to sit down with your curriculum and decide, you know, what are the key 
big main ideas that I want kids knowing 10 years from now, and then funnel your project to really fit those major goals, because you're going to walk away with just students leaving with a greater appreciation, in my case, for history, for social studies, for our past, and a better understanding of who we are as a society today when that is your focus. So the idea of like making sure you cover all the minutiae, don't worry, let that go, because that just comes with it. It will come with it. I was just going to say, it, it ends up, the kids end up learning it anyway, because yes. oftentimes in a problem, problems are extremely complex, much more complex than the way teachers teach. So students are picking up all kinds of things and even, you know, cross uh, disciplines. I remember there were two sixth grade teachers, both running Lottie classrooms, and one was the math teacher, one was the social studies teacher. They timed it so that they would be doing, uh, the, the social studies teacher was working on ancient Greece at the same time that the math teacher was teaching geometry. And, you know, they're out in the hall welcoming the kids to the class. And the student comes up and looks at the math teacher and goes, you know what I just figured out? Did you realize that the Greeks invented math? <laughs> he was like, wow. And she goes, is that? And the two teachers like high five, like we got the connection because too often, the kids don't see connections and problem-based learning will allow you to create those connections. I also found, you know, teachers would say to me back in the day, a million years ago, when I was, when I was um, providing training to teachers, I would have uh, teachers say to me, you know, we get nervous because in October we are behind our peers because we are trying to get, you know, run a priming plan and make sure the kids know all the structures and how to learn. And they said, but, by January, we're like up to the March curriculum. Like we are flying because the kids are fueling it. You know, mm -hmm. if the teacher is always dragging students through the lessons, well, you know, it's going to go as fast as you can move them through. But when the kids take charge of their own learning, title of my book, Students Taking Charge, that they fly with it and they get through there. And I had an AP English teacher, because oftentimes AP teachers will say, we have so much to cover. I just have to cover it. Yeah. And she converted her entire class into a series of problem-based tasks. There was much more discourse in her classroom. Kids were constantly working together, peer editing, having discussions, you know, working through the um, various problems. And she said, when we take the AP exam, oftentimes the students are reporting that they didn't have time to answer all the questions well. And she said, now my students report, they go through, they answer all the questions well. She's getting, she said, we're getting more fours and fours and fives than wow. ever because they are learning so much more than you can teach in traditional ways. And I think yeah. to me, that's a big statement that I would want to make to teachers, teach through problem-based learning, but keep it rigorous. In other words, you have to make yeah. sure that the problem isn't just fluffy fun. And, and, you know, I, I've had teachers say to me, um, oh, well, I just keep extending the due date because they're having so much fun. And I'm like, good luck with getting through your curriculum. Like, you know, you got to yeah. keep it academically rigorous. You have to keep yeah. challenging kids and then, you know, you can fly with it. Well, I'll say the first time I ran an ALU, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if they're going to actually learn all of these pieces of information because I'm focusing on the big ideas here, but we're working on this problem. But then when I saw their final product, I was like, oh my God, they learned way more than I expected versus what how I traditionally taught. So it, in the end, the magic works itself out and they walk away with just a better and deeper understanding than you ever even planned for. Yes, it does. Very good. It's a couple of times. 
And I totally agree. It, it is like magic happening and facilitating is probably my favorite part of that yeah. because you get to engage in those one on one conversations and you get to catch the misconceptions that you would never catch in a traditional classroom. And you also get to hear the, the amazing things that they've learned that exceed your expectations. It's just magical. Yes, I think for myself, one of the big takeaways is that I started doing problem-based learning when I was the first grade teacher. And now I have fifth grade students who were in my class all those years ago. Ah. <laughs> I remember when we did the graphing unit and we got to we got to survey all the teachers in Icon 4. We made our own graphs. Like they're remembering these things. So for me, I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yes, being able to facilitate, yes, doing it in the moment. But the fact that you have students who four years, five years later, they remember these things. I know that I made a difference. I made an impact. And it was tangible. It's something that they took with them. And I made learning more fun. And I made it make sense. And they'll never forget you. <laughs> no, and I'm going to jump off that one because I think the most important thing about teaching at T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. Is that it produces retention of that learning. Hmm. You know, I, I have a quote in my new book that says something along the lines of, teaching should not be a profession that has an expiration date on what students learn. Like they should learn it forever. And the problem is when we try to teach through, you know, more traditional ways, what we find is that the students learn it in enough for the test and maybe a little later, but then they're not bringing it Fine. back. And then we have schools talking about summer slide or we have, you know, <coughs> excuse me, schools saying that, oh no, there was a snowstorm. School was closed for a few days. I'm going to have to go back and review. And for any teacher who reviews before a test, you are literally saying you're not teaching for retention. Because if you taught and students learned and retained that learning, you would never review for a test. You, I never reviewed for a test. The students would learn it and we move on and you get rid of summer slide. And I cannot say enough about problem-based learning for learning acceleration. Yeah. Because you can't accelerate learning unless they're retaining. You know, what happens with learning is we go and then we have summer and then we go back and we pick up here and we go back and pick up here. And it's like, how about we just teach in ways that are going to keep going and going and going? All right. So listen, I, you know, I well, am wait, gonna, here's some questions that we got to jump in. Oh, for. I was going to say, I am going to extend a bit beyond six o'clock because the beautiful thing of this network <laughs> is it's not like there's another show backed up to me. <laughs> so go ahead. Bring them on. All right. So there was an amazing question. How would you describe the planning process for PBL? So before I'll start with that. So one of the things I think is really important about planning for PBLs is just taking the time to put things together. I'll say there's been many times I've been planning and I sat down with Jillian and then you had another idea and I'm like, I didn't think of that. 
and just finding ways to put them together. So working on a, even if it's not grade level, but above level, just working with your colleagues as a start and just getting those different um, different ideas that they may have. They may think of a different way that you can present something, a way that you can scaffold it better for those other students, give them their own learning path. So that's one of the reasons why I love working with Jillian because there have been some many aha moments where I'm like, you're absolutely right. Or I might've said something and she's like, Chef, you're absolutely right. Let's put this together. So I love that aspect of it. It's so open, it's so diverse. We can figure out ways to put something together to get students to where they need to be. I'll definitely, I'll go ahead, sorry. I didn't ever recommend trying to tackle this independently on your own. You know, we work in a in a world of collaboration and collaboration is key. And when you work with your, your partners and you start discussing ideas, you inspire each other and one idea just takes off and you can really feed on each other's energy and ideas. And another thing, another part of planning that has been really key for, for us um, is just brain dumping and brainstorming every single activity and every possible way these kids could go about their learning so that we have a pool of activities and ways of learning to pull from when we plan our actual activity list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll acknowledge, you know, it's a lot of planning that goes into, you know, running this type of classroom, but it is totally worth it. Because the like we've been talking about, the magic that comes out is just amazing. But my one suggestion would be talk to the students. like. Your students will have some of the greatest ideas that you're ever going to come up with. And they have really been my source of inspiration. Like when I'm in the middle of designing some sort of problem based task, like I run it by the kids and I ask them their opinions and they can give you so much feedback that you might not even know that there was this idea that was possible. And even surveying students when you finish it for your first time, see what went well, see what you can improve upon because students will give you the best feedback. And that's a question actually that Alexandra Fox had just put up there because oh, you know, how do we come up with those <laughs> engaging, interesting problems? And we talk about the five P's of PBL, problems, projects, place-based, about a particular place, whether it's a community or Mars, uh, profession-based, we get into our careers. But my favorite, pursuit-based. Tell the kids, this is what we're gonna be studying, you know, civil war and have them do a little digging and then let them identify problems. When kids come up with the problems they want to identify, it's amazing. We have principals who have like student uh, councils in elementary school, the kids brainstorm problems that they see in the community or in the schools, and then other kids go and pick the problems they want to tackle. So definitely getting kids involved in making those decisions. And I found too that if I stepped back from the curriculum and just thought, what could a student at this age, if they knew everything that I'm going to teach this year, what could they do? What problem could they solve? And then you come up with a really interesting real world problem, then go and take your curriculum and map it in. Mm -hmm. You sit there and say, oh, I have to teach, you know, percentages, uh, you know, and you're sitting there like, what am I going to do? What am I going to But most real world problems, you can find a way to build percentages in. So do you have other advice for uh, coming up with really interesting problems? Oh, maybe don't be too hard on yourself and just be <laughs> aware that it's going to evolve. Like every year, you're just going to make it better. So if you're, yes. if it doesn't go the way that you originally planned, that's okay. Cause you're going to learn from that. And every year you're just going to evolve it, evolve it. And it's going to turn into a masterpiece by the time you're done with it. Definitely design a task for your highest achiever. 
Oh, that's a great. They point. will blow you away with mm -hmm. with what they can do. And and students then who are maybe not at that level end up rising to that level. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what's so important. Um, I want to talk for a little bit about equity, designing equitable learning environments, culturally responsive teaching. It was many years ago when Paolo Freire, uh, in his book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, really talked about problem-posing pedagogy, that we should be teaching students through real-world problems. And talked, and I know with IDE, we have the seven lenses of, of equity, and we one of those is often, oh, well, bit my tongue there, authenticity. How do we engage students in authentic problem solving? So think about that on the equity front. Why would you say problem-based learning is so important for designing equitable learning environments? I think it's- I you there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's really important. We're, we're raising our future kids. We're raising kids to, to we're teaching them to be adults. We're not teaching them to be children the rest of their lives. So when they can look around their own community and their own world, and they can, number one, recognize a problem, and then we equip them with the skills necessary to think through how to solve that problem, that is powerful. And that is what we want them to be when they are grown up and they leave school and they leave, you know, they become the adult. Exactly, Kristen. I completely agree. And to piggyback off what you say, and that's why I'm so big on global citizenship, because we don't only want the students to see how do we solve problems in the classroom, but thinking about where they come from. Our students come from many walks of life and they're going to face many different problems. And not just that, but just the way how they respond to those problems as well. Depending on where the students come from, they're going to respond differently. And it's really important to make sure that we're posing problems in the classroom where we're pushing equity and we're making sure the students can see themselves in these problems yes. and also see themselves in the solution. Yeah, for at least where I work, I work in an extremely diverse community, which is just absolutely beautiful. It's it's special. We it's like we have a microcosm of everyone. And I think when designing tasks, that has to come in mind. Like who are your students? Because they need to be represented in whatever problem that you're presenting them with. It needs to connect to them in some sort of way, um, on some sort of level. Otherwise, they're not gonna have that felt need or want to try to solve that problem. But if you really know your students, know your community, which is very important, you can create tasks that can speak to them and they can see themselves, like we've said, in the work that you're doing. And that is everything. Yeah. And with it being- I want to get the consultant's perspective here because yeah, you work so in a lot of schools. I know. <laughs> How are you seeing problem-based learning as a key part of the equity equation? It's interesting because one of the things that I was going to mention is the fact of, of looking at representation and what does that mean? And mm -hmm. we think oftentimes we've heard it for years, representation doesn't just mean that I have a few books in my classroom and that's it. But it's really thinking about the way that you're teaching and who you're teaching to. And are you creating a system that allows opportunity and access for students? And so oftentimes when I'm working with teachers, we're, we're having those deep conversations about is there opportunity? Is there access? You know, what are the components of equity that we need to build in? And where are the gaps? And mm -hmm. sometimes that is a, a touchy and a sensitive topic. 
But what I love is that we're creating leaders who are really looking at how am I being intentional and mindful in what I'm creating so that my students don't just see themselves in this task statement, but they're also seeing the way that they are navigating through the world that allows them to be equal partners with everyone else around them. And so one thing I would want to ask you all is, how do you have those conversations with other colleagues to, because we're we're all partners in, in this together. So what are some of those tips and conversations that you're having with colleagues to say, are we making sure that we're building in those lens of equity and not just focusing on one area? Exactly. I think for me, it's when, especially when it comes to in regards to speaking to other colleagues, is just making sure you take the time to know your students and get to know your students and where they come from and their background. And of course, that starts from day one. And that's why I'm a big advocate for um, equity. It starts with the teacher. And we have to make sure that we instill that into the daily routine. We have to instill that from the beginning of the year, make sure that the students understand what that means and what it looks like. So for me, that's what I'm thinking of is getting to know your kids where they come from and how you talk to them and use that congruent communication to make sure that you're maintaining their dignity. For social studies, I think we're in a unique realm because social studies, especially American history, there is so much to discuss. Um, And our history isn't always rosy like we like to often depict it. And I think the encouraging words that I kind of leave teachers with is that it's our responsibility to bring up topics that maybe make us uncomfortable, but other students need to hear. Um, And that their voices and their perspectives and their histories, even though it might not be our history, needs to be incorporated in the classroom. And that is our responsibility. We have to do that for all of our children. It's not like an add-on, a special thing that we celebrate, oh, holiday. No, it needs to be an active part of our classroom every single day. So I just encourage teachers to put a little bravery on and you got this, just go for it. That's awesome. Put a little bravery on. Um, Yes. I'm going to wrap us up, but I, I am so grateful that you joined me on this show on our season finale, because I think- Right. And starting with engagement and ending with the power of problems uh, is fabulous. I think that the world uh, is blessed to have the you three teachers teaching the children of the world. You guys, I want to be in all your classrooms. Absolutely. Totally amazing. So I'm going to give you uh, your one last opportunity to give a shout out to your kids, because I know a lot of the kids are watching a shout out to your kids, a shout out to your school Uh, Colleen, you start us off. I want to give a shout out to my 2B chickadees, my little pumpkin pies, all of my fellow colleagues at Icon Charter School 4, my amazing principal that helped me gain this lens of problem-based learning, and Zillian, I love you so much. You are in my heart forever. All right. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Colleen, for being here. Caitlin, your your shout-outs. All right. So for my shout outs, I just really want to thank my students this year. This has been I know I've touched upon this multiple times, but this has probably been the hardest year that I have ever experienced in my career, my personal life. And I just have some students that are just a bright light to my day. I'm going to like cry a little bit, but um, they inspire me. And um, I'm just absolutely 100% grateful for them because we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am today without them. And they, they're, they're everything. 
And I just want them to know for all those that are watching. And you know, Caitlin, uh, I know throughout this pandemic, a lot of people felt like the teachers were seeing the kids through, but kids, you gotta know, you've been seeing your teachers through. So thank you for that. And Kristen, your shout outs. That is absolutely so true. I live for my kids. I do this for my kids. We all teachers can relate. Um, huge shout out to Chasco Elementary School. I've been there for 17 years. It has my heart. Um, it is my home. My Chasco family is my family and Pasco County Schools for having um, Laddick and allowing us to continue because it is simply the best and I will never teach any other way. Woo! Oh, love to hear that, love to hear that. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I'm gonna thank my guests. You guys are gonna go backstage and Jillian, I'm gonna thank my co-host. Thank you for joining me. It wasn't scary, was it? No, it wasn't. It was great. It was phenomenal. No, loved it. <laughs> and you're amazing. So thank you for being with me on our uh, uh, on our season finale. So, uh, all right. So live audience, uh, they tell me I'm supposed to have some sort of a, uh, you know, a cliffhanger at the end. So all I can say is what will be the first show of the new season? Hmm. That's not a good cliffhanger. Uh, how about, oh, I don't have any cliffhanger. All I have is gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this um, amazing show. I have had so much fun this year. So much fun. And I appreciate everyone who watches live and, and engages in the chat. I appreciate all of the kids who are watching. I thank you for being, uh, getting ready to be the next level of decision makers in our world. And I thank you for all the hard work that you guys have put into uh, a very crazy school year. And all educators out there, thank you so much for what you're doing. And, you know, that's my thing. Let's help kids change the world. So... I look forward to seeing you in September back on Learning Unwrapped. And as always, the kids of IDE are going to show us off. I'll see you next season. Mwah! The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, also known as SDGs, are a perfect place to start. In my lifetime, I would love to focus on goal number 12, which is responsible consumption production. Goal number 13, which is climate action. And goal number 16 peace, justice, and strong institutions. I want to fix the COVID problem so friends and family could see each other. I want to see my, my grandparents that live in France, also my cousins. I want to solve the problem, pollution problem. I don't want anybody from um, garbage on the grass or on the road or on the ocean. That's, don't hurt, that hurts the earth. One problem I want to solve is lack of imagination in the world. That's why I want to become an Imagineer when I grow up. I want to provide imagination for everyone around the world and give that spark for the next generation. Thanks for watching Learning Unwrap this season. Tune in in September for the next season. Feel free to binge watch previous episodes all summer. You did it. You woke up today. You even got out of bed. You deserve a reward. We can't all be morning people, but we can all get 
McDonald's for breakfast. Right now, mix and match a chicken McGriddles or a McChicken biscuit for just three bucks. Order ahead on the Mickey D's app. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Mobile order and pay at participating McDonald's. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line.